out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy, but you're still the Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss a film that you will never discuss in the course of a film studies course. This week's film is Romancing the Stone, One Man's Love Affair with a Rock. And uh, we're very, very excited to be talking about this film uh, here around the table with you all this week. Let's go ahead and identify the disembodied voices speaking to you all. To my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart. And- oh, shit, man, the Doobie Brothers broke up. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, in the corner, ma'am, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and I had it in my hands, Dalton. These hands that are going to break every bone in your body later. Excellent, excellent. Uh, to my right, sir, who are you? My name is Caleb Masters, and it was Dustin, the filthiest, dirtiest, dumbest excuse for a man west of the Missouri River. Uh, that is an accurate statement. My name is Dustin Sells, and that alligator got a terrible case of indigestion. And I am so glad to be here with you all discussing Romancing the Stone. It's got uh, one great Michael Douglas and also and Kathleen Turner. Uh, her best turn before uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And uh, so we're going to be talking all about this film and what's going on with it and why we like it. we got to warn you, though, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means there will be spoilerific spoilerages. And so well, we are going to do something to prevent that from happening. If you wish to be spoiler-free, we're going to give synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. After that, we get down to business, and uh, that's when the spoiler zone hits us all. So you've been warned about all of that, but without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Voice of the Cinema, let's hear that synopsis. A romance writer sets off to Columbia to ransom her kidnapped sister, and soon finds herself in the middle of a dangerous adventure. <laughs> you could have a treasure adventure. Anything could have just led to the, you know, I mean, adventure could be catching a taxi or something. I don't know. Silly contemporary period Indiana Jones is what we're talking about yep. here. And uh, so very, very, very good. Thank you very much for that. That's right. Michael Douglas is playing Fabio and uh, from a romance novel, Harlequin novel covers <laughs> fame. And uh, we're going to be discussing this. Now, let's begin with those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you got to say? Yeah, Romancing the Stone. This is the first time I saw this film, by the way. I'd never seen it before. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it's an ultra ultra hyper 80s throwback film where the bad guys are cartoons there's no like they're like cartoons no they are cartoons the MacGuffin is it's crazy outlandish the camera techniques are 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 wonky and often feel really thrown together and the soundtrack sounds like it's straight from a porno i mean all that saxophone um but it's fun uh i there is a lot of sax so much sax <laughs> you mean saxophone Oh, yeah. There's a reason it was Bill Clinton's uh, instrument of choice. Yep. Oh, yeah. Bam. Um, Yeah, the movie uh, borrows a lot of ideas and plot structure from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't really think there's any way around that. Uh, But it really does establish itself as its own sort of zany, larger-than-lifestyle. As much as you think 
Indiana Jones is kind of silly sometimes. This is far more over the top. Which is really interesting because the uh, the screenplay was uh, originally written uh, in 1979, so three or four years before in, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark actually was released, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it, it makes you kind of question like whether they went back and did a rewrite after the film came out or not, or or they're just this does there, happen. This does happen. There was uh, quite a, apparently uh, quite a few uncredited uh, punch up uh, screenwriters that were brought in, but yeah, it, it, it's very interesting to me that you just <clears throat> how how those, the symmetry of those different ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Michael Douglas is a blast here. I was re- doing some re- uh, reading up on this film, and apparently this is a, one of the films that brought his career back in the 80s, uh, really reestablished him as a viable action kind of lead, leading man. Um, the, the crazy plot convenience and unreal plot turns really do feel... Uh, straight out of some sort of pulpy fanfic novel. That's well, sort of straight out of a romance novel. Exactly. And I think it serves as well. That's kind of the whole point of the movie. Absolutely. And it's not great, but it's fun. So that's about all I've got to say about it. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you have to say about this film? I enjoyed this movie. I, I'm a big uh, Indiana Jones fan girl. So this kind of, uh, you know, penny you know, adventure novel type fair, choosing your own adventure style things. That's really fun for me. And I do enjoy, I enjoy these treasure quests. And I did enjoy this uh, film a lot. And I first learned this film through I Heart the 80s on VH1 oh, yeah. all those years ago. And I never saw it. And and I said, I know I would like that movie. And I did. I really enjoyed this film. There there are some potentially problematic uh, things it has to say, especially about uh, people of color. Um, oh, Columbia specifically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And minorities in general in terms of uh, colonialism and all that. Um, but I do think that overall it's it's a fun film and I didn't really feel a lot of the even though Caleb said that the 80s kind of wore on him a little it, it wasn't as bad for me um, but maybe I have a higher 80s tolerance than he does so that's that's my two cents well thank you very much Miss Alexander Bohannon Mr. Dalton Stewart what do you have to say I have not seen this movie in years and years and years prior to watching it for the show um, it's so funny that it came up not even a full month after I mentioned it on Crocodile Dundee. Uh, just And again, I mentioned it on that show because it does have a lot in common with that film. Uh, but I remembered it very fondly, so that was why I said, you should probably watch this instead of Crocodile Dundee. So when uh, it, it dropped its way out of the randomizer, I was pretty fucking excited. Um, and, and you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say I made the right call on that because while this is probably as disposable as, as Dundee is, it's much more uh, competently uh, <laughs> constructed. Uh, and yeah, it, 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 Caleb, yes, it is way more fun. Uh, it's way more interesting. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with Kathleen Turner uh, and Michael Douglas, uh, who just have a really great chemistry. Both are having a lot of fun, it seems like. And uh, Although apparently Kathleen Turner had a pretty miserable time on set, uh, by all accounts. Uh, Michael Douglas is, is channeling uh, his dad, Kirk, uh, a hundredfold in this film. And, and it, it does so quite well. Um, and with Alex, some of the, the stuff with Columbia is a little weird, especially because this film was shot at the height of the Medellin cartel's power, uh, which, which which makes some of the more cartoonish elements of what goes down there, uh, yeah, kind of sad and troubling because <clears throat> Medellin was in full swing at this point and was doing some really, truly fucked up shit. Um, so it's, it is kind of hard to, to laugh at some of those aspects of the film. 
um, you know, even the the more uh, learned viewer at the time. I mean, th- this isn't one of those things where you say, well, you know, you got to take everything with a grain of salt when you watch a movie from 30 years ago. I mean, you know, Medellin w- was on the cover of Time magazine a couple of times. Like, people knew about what was going on in Colombia. So I-, I think even in its initial release, some of these things might have been a little uh, hard to uh, be amused with. But overall, I-, I think it is very solid. It's a lot of fun. It's just, it's cute. It's very cute. Uh, it, it is about as adorable as a film like this could possibly be. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I would echo the same sentiments. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Uh, the uh, sequel, Jewel of the Nile, was a VHS uh, tape in my home growing up, and I watched it quite a bit, and I have greater appreciation for that as uh, our uh, frequent uh, co-host, Arthur Gordon, who is uh, doing production duties today, uh, has the same sort of affection for Temple of Doom uh, over the other Indiana Jones films because it's just the one he had and uh, watched so often. And in the same way, I feel that way about Jewel of the Nile, but I do like. Did you rewatch Jewel of the Nile? I did. Okay, because I haven't seen it since probably I, when I first watched uh, watch Romancing the Stone at like 10 or 11. So uh, I was curious while watching this. I was like, I wonder if Jewel of the Nile holds up at all. Uh, it holds, and it holds up better. I, really? I, I still think it's the better of the two films. Did you know they were, uh, really? were going to try to make a third? Really? Yeah, it didn't. Uh, I forget what the proposed title was, but it didn't pan out because Jewel of the Nile didn't do very well oh, uh, financially. Bad. Diamonds of the Sahara. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there, were, there, there were no references to precious gems in the title, which Boo. I was like, well, there you go. That's why the third one didn't pan out. Epic fail. Come on, guys. It's a formula. <laughs> You've got to repeat the formula. It's the only way to success in Hollywood. Don't you know anything? Gems of the Antarctic. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> can't have that because then Michael Douglas can't be half shirtless the whole movie. Mm. And so, yeah. They'll find, they'll find a way. He'll need to stay warm getting cut up and next to another body over there. Is that just uh, just uh, throwing another uh, key on the pile. Yes. Oh, man. Something like that. But I like the movie lots. It's a lot of fun, and I enjoyed my experience. There you go, dear listener. You Now you know our biases. They are generally pro uh, towards this film. Let's take a moment, though, because it's now time to play the game. This week's game is Choose Your Adventure, the film. You're going to pick your lead performer, your MacGuffin, your villain, and your setting. Uh, that's right. Choose your own adventure, the movie, brought to you by Romancing the Stone. Romancing the Stone. It really is just Fabio the movie. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Donald Stewart. Let's go ahead and hear your gameplay, sir. Okay, so uh, I tried to do something interesting and then ended up just picking things that I like. Uh, because that's who I am. So uh, I, I do want to, I, I want a lady, I, basically I made Quicken the Dead on accident, and I didn't mean to, but that's what I did. Uh, so I, I want uh, Jessica Chastain uh, as the hero, I want Michael Fassbender as the bad guy, uh, I want this to all take place in 1880 uh, Dakota territories, uh, and I want the MacGuffin to be some sort of a priceless artifact. Um, I, I thought about uh, maybe uh, Abraham Lincoln's body, which... <laughs> Well, yeah, because it was stolen a time or two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think that would be really weird uh, and and fun. Um, What's it the magical power that Abe Lincoln's body has, Dalton? Well, and that's why I thought about incorporating some. You know, maybe it's it's a Native American artifact, and I was like, I don't, I don't want magical Native American stuff. That feels. You know, not cool. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to go down that route. Uh, let's just fuck with white people stuff. I'm more comfortable <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, I picked things that I like. So uh, I still haven't hammered out my MacGuffin, but I definitely want an old west movie. 
Uh, I, I want Jessica Chastain as the fearless gunslinger. And um, let, give me, Michael Fassbender was so good in Slow West. He was so good in uh, uh, 12 Years a Slave. So let's combine those two characters into one completely heinous human being. Uh, because nothing's better than a sexy bad guy. There you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what is your selection? All right. Well, I I guess I just went a little, got a little into it because I made a, a few different movies. I'll keep it really brief. Okay. Christian Bale as our lead. Scarlett Johansson as our villain. Mm. S. Uh, or villain because, you know, yeah. Um, and then our MacGuffin is a superhero, uh, superhuman serum. And uh, our our location is the Delta Quadrant. Yes. All right. So, <laughs> um, so our hero is Tina Fey. Our villain, Patrick Stewart. Yes. Yeah. I'm just inspired by Green Room. Um, our MacGuffin is the Royal Jewels, and this takes place in London. All right. Um, I'll save my favorite for last. Um, we've got Miss Melissa McCarthy as our lead. Kristen Ritter as our villain, <laughs> the Mona Lisa as our MacGuffin, and a college campus as our location. I'm so fucking... <laughs> I, 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 that movie could actually buy we happen, by I the way. I am so into that right now. <laughs> Me too. I want to watch that. All right. Last and certainly not least, I did this one just for Dalton. Mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves is our hero. Done, sold. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Jason Statham is our villain. Our location is a nondescript large gritty city. Uh, and our MacGuffin, a dog. Shut up and take all of my money! <laughs> Wait, this is just going to be the third in the franchise. Yeah, it's just going to be the third John Wick movie. Yeah. That's excellent. Thank you very much for that. Uh, very energetic gameplay, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what are your selections? Yeah, I actually Don't have a even co- bother. I have a couple You're of, not going to top I, that. I have, I have a couple of myself. Hear me out now. Hear me out. So uh, tomorrow, Uncharted 4 comes out, and I'm so excited. And, and in a lot of ways, uh, it was kind of a match made in heaven when we pulled this from the the uh, almighty randomizer that we're doing this film this week because holy crap guys i'm gonna talk about this in my analysis but it draws heavily uh uncharted draws heavily from romance in the stone however uh back to the game nathan fillion travels to the middle east to steal muhammad's beard from naomi harris what? And I actually researched all these artifacts. These all exist, and a lot of them are missing. Awesome. Yes. That's and that is, a legitimate, wow. that is a legitimate Muslim artifact, is Muhammad's beard that was shaven and like, put in a bag, and it's gone. Yeah, it's like the, the shroud of, uh, what's, that, what's that thing called? Turin. Turin. Thank you, Dustin. Yeah, second pick. Uh, Chris Pratt teams up with his old college buddy, Ken. What the uh, He travels with his old buddy to Japan to find a ma- the magical samurai sword, Honju Masumana. Okay. Uh, from the clutches okay. of the evil Neil Patrick Harris. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. He's a good right. And, like and the, the sword has the powers of Samurai Jack's magical sword. Uh, That's awesome. You had me You had me at Chris Pratt and Ken Watanabe. There you yeah. go. Uh, lastly, I have Charlize Theron uh, mm-hmm. travels to the UK in order to beat out her old rival, played by Idris Elba, to find the crown jewels of England. I think we, we, we have a similar thing going on there. I like that. I like of both of ours there. You guys are making movies I really want to see. That's excellent. Okay, it's Dallas, 1963. In, sold. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I became the arbiter of your choices, <laughs> but I am. Uh, Vin Diesel stars <laughs> in right. a car chase thriller uh-huh. uh, with the villain played by Nicolas Cage, uh-huh. yes. where they pursue a certain Lincoln limousine that was ridden in by one John <gasps> F. Kennedy. 
Oh my god, that's Fast and, Wait, Fast and Furious 8. It's happening. This isn't a movie that already exists. No, it I sounds wish. like one that does. Uh, well, there are three Fast, and, three Fast and the Furious movies left to go, guys. I'm going to say you should have gone with The Rock over Vin Diesel, but I'll take it. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I, I, yeah, it's fun times and a uh, big action thriller set in the 60s, uh, shot in Zapruder 8mm film. Moving right along, that is our gameplay, dear listener. We hope to hear... Wait, shot by, uh, by, by Zapruder? <laughs> by Zapruder. <laughs> Directed by David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just saying things, <laughs> yeah, old yeah, man. Just making up I'm just jacking around. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Well, we'd love to hear your selections uh, for your choose-your-own-adventure, The Movie. Uh, you can do that via those magical means of social media. You'll hear more about that at the end of the show, but we're not there yet because, guys, it's time to get down to business. This week's business is the business it always is, which is analysis. I'm so excited to hear what my dear co-hosts have to say about Romancing the Stone. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you have? Today we're going to talk about female objectification. In this movie, Romancing the Stone, there's some interesting female objectification at work going on two parallel levels. And what I'm talking about today splits objectification into sexual objectification, which is the act of treating a person as an instrument of sexual pleasure and that alone. And then generally, uh, more general, uh, objectification broadly means treating a person as a, as a commodity or an, an object without regard to their personality or dignity. <laughs> broadly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, boo. <laughs> All right. I, I hate myself. Yep, me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> On our first level, we have jo- our novelist, Joan Wilder, who's writing her soppy romance novels. Her main protagonists, and I assume most of them, are keenly ogled and objectified in these works. Um, this protagonist then exacts her revenge and, of course, suffers from the rape as motivation for female action, terrible trope. Um, in general, romance novels are extremely objectifying due to... Uh, Male uh, sexually objectifying gazes upon both uh, genders uh, because we also, in the plot of the film, we have uh, a rabid male fan base for her her novels that we find uh, out in... Juanita Wright Wilder. <laughs> yes. And so besides that, we also have, you know, these characters that are basically treated as just sources of not just sec- not sexual pleasure but but like security and you know a, a way to escape loneliness they don't really have these like kind of core character traits they're not people they're they're objects of you know security and attachment so our second level of female objectification comes from the author of the narrative film uh, itself. The writer of the screenplay, Diane Thomas, also objectifies Joan uh, over the course of her adventure. Her hair literally comes down and her outfit becomes more and more revealing due to it swearing out over the course of the adventure. And I thought about that uh, while I was watching the film, if, if that was because the screenplay was written by a woman. Yeah. And direct, we haven't even mentioned this yet. Robert Zemeckis directed this yeah. movie. Uh, the success of which allowed him to to make Back to the Future, which he'd right. been wanting to make. Uh, and I, I thought about that 
Alex, whether or not that was a directing choice or, or a screenplay choice. Yeah, I mean, I did. I do acknowledge that you know we have a male director Zemeckis, and we have a male cinematographer slash DP. Um, so we have we do have people that could exact the male gaze because it does get male gazy. Mm-hmm. However, we do have um, you know our author of our screenplay, which the you know the core plot tenants are from. Um, you know, the, the author of the screenplay. So the fact that our two women do fe- treat their female characters as such uh, demonstrates a case of rampant internalized misogyny. Internalized misogyny is sexism that is defined... Um, internalized misogyny is sexism that is defined by the involuntary belief by uh, women that the lies, stereotypes, and myths about girls and women are are... Oh, okay. The lies and myths about girls and women that are delivered within a patriarchal or sexist society are true. Women, um, oh, I should spell that right. Women buy into patriarchal ideas and rationalize the myth that it is, quote, okay for men to objectify women and that it's a it's permissible for women to objectify and commodify women. I mean, obviously this doesn't just cover sexual object objectification, although it can, but just treating a woman as a commodity, something to be earned or won or stolen or bought and not necessarily as a woman who is thinking and breathing in her own person. It makes sense that the title of, of this film has the double entendre of romancing the stone as the treasure to be won. Um, despite we have this map and Corazon is Spanish for heart and all these things, the treasure to be won is in the possession of the rock, but the possession of the woman through her, her heart. While maybe this is romantic, this kind of possessiveness and love is sup- supremely objectifying and treats a woman as something to be owned and to be used for one's own devices. Both authors, fictional and non-fictional, show their own internalized misogyny through objectifying their main female characters through the use of romantic trope and sexualized gazing. Accurate and excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis do you bring? Well, I, I like that that is where Alex uh, chose to go with this because one of the, the things that stood out most to me in this film is the portrayal of Kirk Douglas's character, uh, Jack T. Colton, um, who who is a complete and utter schlub. Uh, let's make no bones about it. He, he's kind of a schmuck, um, but I, I found that really interesting because he is every bit as you know physically and heroically capable uh, as somebody like Indiana Jones. But he's kind of an idiot. Uh, he he has taken the easy way through life. Indiana Jones, when he's not kicking ass, found time to get a PhD uh, in archaeology and teach co- teaches college classes when he's not uh, murdering droves and droves of Nazis. Um, Dustin uh, just pointed at himself, by the way. Um, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Do you murder droves and droves of Nazis in your spare time? Oh, it's been, you know, a few decades, but yeah. <laughs> okay. I, th- I just thought you were playing lots of Call of Duty, man. <laughs> anyway, um, th- the idea that um, Joan Wilder has, has got this um, innate love for a character she has written uh, and ends up falling for this man that that really does not embody anything uh, about what she wants in a man is kind of great. Now, he he does have this this heel face turn at the end where he he gives up the money uh, to go and save Joan, but he gives up the money too late. Joan fucking saves herself. She doesn't really need him. Uh, She takes care of business. Uh, she kills the uh, the Colombian uh, minister of antiquities, who's also a colonel, um, via fire and crocodiles. 
Uh, fuck crocodiles. Uh, <laughs> all by herself. Saves her sister. Uh, and uh, Michael Douglas uh, scales the castle walls all too late uh, and says, well, sorry about that. I'm off to go get the money. Uh, and that's it. And then he shows up at the end with his alligator boots in the, in the boat and says, come sail away with me. Come sail away. Come sail away with me. And again, I just find all this fascinating because, as Alex pointed out, this film had a female screenwriter. And to have this character, and again, you know, you can never be sure whether or not what ends up on screen was in the blueprint or was put there by the builders. You can never be sure. So I find it very interesting. We'll go ahead and continue with the presupposition that uh, our, our screenwriter, whose name is escaping me, Alex, do you recall? I think it's Diane Thomas. Thank you. Uh, Diane Thomas, uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and assume some of these more interesting aspects of, of Jack T. Colton's character were put there uh, by Miss Thomas, and uh, who tragically passed away uh, shortly before, or shortly after this, this film was released, which I found very sad. Um, the uh, sequel, Jewel of the Nile, is dedicated to her, uh, her memory. Um, I just think it's absolutely stunning, because e- even to this day, uh, w- when we are actually seeing Hollywood films that are being somewhat more progressive along gender norms and gender lines. Uh, again, we, we are far from out of the woods and not in any stretch of the imagination, are we? But but things are getting a little bit better. Uh, but I find it absolutely fascinating. This film that came out in the, in the early to mid-80s has such a fucking shitty character and i think it's beautiful because he he is his own person uh, and he i think he legitimately loves joan um and and they have a deep connection that um is not built upon uh fairy tale ideals of what a relationship is supposed to look like because <laughs> it probably isn't supposed to look like this uh and, and again it falls into the same trap that all uh, movies do which is uh, danger equals love because um, I'm telling you right now, if it wasn't for Jewel of the Nile, I would have given that relationship six weeks at best uh, before he dropped her back off in Manhattan and said, all right, I'm going to go sailing on myself, uh, on by myself now because I realize we have nothing in common. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and live the fantasy because I think it's beautiful that this person who uh, has set up these ideas for herself is willing to fall in love with somebody who, who doesn't really match those things. And simultaneously, this person who is kind of a schmucky, shitty person um, can change enough to, to be the man that this woman he, he cares about wants him to be. And again, I could do with more of that in, in my movies, w- with characters who are not uh, the end-all, be-all. Uh, there are definitely shades of this character in Chris Pratt's character in uh, Jurassic World, uh, much less interestingly. Um, just thinking of a recent example, and that, that doesn't work quite as well as uh, the, the relationship here, because the romance is the cornerstone of Romancing the Stone. It literally is the entire movie. Um, and the fact that these two leads chemistry are able to make such an unconventionally written romance work on the screen is a testament to the screenplay and a testament to our leads acting ability. And again, I could do with more of this. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis do you bring? Yeah, um, I've, I've got. I, wanna, I just want to talk a little bit briefly about um, how video games lift a lot of their tropes from from film. And uh, watching this, this uh, you know, with Uncharted Four on the horizon, obviously it's on the brain. And watching this movie, I was like, oh my god! For years, I've been calling it the Indiana Jones of video games. No, I was way wrong. It lifts way heavier from uh, *Romancing the Stone*. Um, you've got you've got jeep chases. You've got um, boss fights, backtracking. A treasure map, like all all of these plot conveniences. They're just I'm like, oh my god, I'm watching 
this game except for it's vice versa, right? I didn't even realize. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uncanny how much it lives from this film. So, I, I, in a good way too, though, because I think Uncharted actually went on to 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 really refine the. Refine that the type of story yeah. they were telling here in a way it's not quite as you there, know. there's there's platforming sequences mm-hmm. there yeah there's the boss fight there's big shootouts there yeah there, there, absolutely. there's there's and in the way Michael Douglas uh, his character is a lot like Nathan Drake he he is a lot snappier than Indiana Jones mm-hmm. um, which is a lot more in, in line with what Nathan Drake does uh, there's a scene where they go over a waterfall I mean it's it's it, that reminded me a lot of uh, the start of Uncharted two where he's on a train hanging off a cliff I don't know just stuff like that you're like this feels like an Uncharted game. Now, obviously, this came way earlier, um, and it made me thinking about how video games lift really heavily from Hollywood to tell their stories. Well, and that's kind of part of the problem with trying to adapt a video game into a film, is that most video games are, are borrowing heavily and liberally from the great films in cinema history. Um, so at the end of the day, a lot of your video game movies are going to be nothing but a, a cheap knockoff of, of something that's come before and is a lot better. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, there was a time where uh, Uncharted was in serious talks to be adapted by David O. Russell starring uh, Mark Wahlberg, and it just fell fell through. Um, and, you know, my, my, I, my, my thought was, yeah, we don't really need an Uncharted movie because we've got the games that are basically a 10-hour movie where you get to interact with it. Uh, basically, I mean, so that's how cinematic those games really are. But they, they lift heavily from from things like here, um, all, all these film tropes you can find in in the game. And I was looking back, if you if you know, I really felt like the turning point were for where where games really started to lift full steam into to film was the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 generation. Obviously, you see a lot of the the, the forerunner work being done on the GameCube, PlayStation 2, with like mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid 1, and, and films uh, games that aspire to do that. But with the, the new technology that came with those systems, we were finally able to witness, you know... I mean, games, I, there's some of these I watched before I played. Um, so we got Halo 3, God of War, Metal Gear Solid 4. Metal Gear Solid 4 is basically a movie for like 10 hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know. And, and then there's even, there are even choose-your-own-adventure games like uh, PlayStation 3's Heavy Rain, um, which is another really, really uh, awesome game that does also borrow, uh, you know, a lot of the kind of mechanics from, you know, like the, rom- the likes of Romance in the Stone. So as uh, you see the games growing in sophistication with the technology, their ability to be cinematic um, continue to grow. And I mean, I, so it's just, it's, it's, you, it's really funny because you can a video game can adapt an idea from a movie a lot easier than I think you can go vice versa because mm-hmm. uh, it adds that interactive element. It really, uh, it really does play to that to the idea of *Romance in the Stone*, which is choose your own adventure, uh, which is what you're doing in a video game. You're interacting with the story, you're engaging um, with with the story, and it really just kind of begs the question of uh, whether sometimes maybe *Romance in the Stone* would have been a better video game if it had come out today. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I find like the ideas in this film worked a lot better in Uncharted than they did in this film. Um, I feel like there's something, something really generic, and it might just be again that kind of hyper '80s feel I talked about in my review that is in this film that I don't think stands up. It doesn't stand out as much as it does in any of the Uncharted games. So that, there's that interactive nature that I feel like takes the idea of the story to the next level mm-hmm. in a way that I think is a lot more successful. Yeah, it adds more to it. Yeah, that's really well said, man. Uh, well, let's end where we uh, always do uh, at the far end of the table with uh, old man Dustin Sells, uh, the bringer of wisdom. 
what uh, what did Romancing the Stone do for you, man? What did it make you think about? If I were to title my analysis, I might call it Romancing the National Geographic, um, <laughs> which is going to be a post-colonial uh, reading of uh, both uh, The Jewel of the Nile and Romancing the Stone, in which we find that these people groups from different parts of the world, uh, Colombians are definitely dealt with a very, very broad brush. They are used for either comedic relief or they are merely caricatures uh, like our drug dealer or our minister of antiquities who are just simply uh, Latino big bads. Uh, when we get our way into Romancing the Stone, we have uh, Omar Sharif playing not Saddam Hussein uh, as a ruler of a uh, small uh, Middle Eastern place, uh, which is somewhere on the Nile River, but not Egypt. Uh, and also we've got uh, magical Sufi Muslims uh, who are magic minorities there. We also have a random encounter with Nubians who are black African uh, tribe people who are in the mountains. And they are all used for exoticism and, again, for the sense of romance. But they are fully, fully, as Spivak would write uh, in his post-colonial theory, uh, they are fully subaltern. They are really not given words. They are not given speech. Now, I'm not saying that these actors don't talk. They do talk. But what do they say? They say, I must get the jewel. Yeah, they're, they're a conduit for, as I recall, uh, mysticism. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of more... Uh, uh, Indiana Jones esqueness with uh, Jewel of the Nile, as I recall, because it's not pure, it's it's not strictly speaking magic, but there's much more mysticism in that film, as I recall. It is, and they're also they're used for jokes. There is a moment in Jewel of the Nile where they meet with the Nubian tribe, and uh, the chief's uh, son sort of wants to marry Joan Wilder, and uh, uh, Michael Douglas agrees to wrestle him. But it's not the very very short, you know, hundred and ten pound, five foot four inch man standing next to the chief. It turns out to be the six foot four, two hundred and eighty pound man that comes out of a hut. And uh, the, the hilarity ensues. Uh, Michael Douglas wins by uh, – there is a distracting moment where uh, the uh, jewel of the Nile, spoilers ahead, it's a person, not a jewel, uh, does some buffoonery with an umbrella. And by so doing, Michael Douglas is able to bash him over the head with a pot while no one's looking and thus win the wrestling match. Uh, but that said, these characters, again, they drive the plot for white people. They drive the desires for white people. They, they have the resources that want to be pl- Plundered by white people. And uh, throughout the film, they don't really speak for themselves. They don't speak for their own concerns. And when they do say anything of any substance, they say it in a way that is sort of uh, endearing and uh, attractive for white people. Um, that these films are full of this sort of post-colonial bent in which uh, it's not even post-colonial. It's almost pre-colonial uh, stuff that's happening in a post-colonial period in which white people still think of these exotic places as merely places for romance where they're always dancing or juggling or uh, partying and dancing in the streets. I think of the scene uh, where they finally get to Cartagena or Cartagena. Cartagena. Cartagena, whatever. Uh, where they get to this place and uh, you know everyone's always dancing and the kids are always playing with Sparklers. Why? Because that's really romantic and pretty. It doesn't look what Columbia really looks like. Especially not in 1985 or whenever this movie came out. And it certainly doesn't look yeah. like, you know, again, just uh, the, the poverty and the voices of those Colombians who are uh, suffering under that certain regime. That mm-hmm. th- th- Those are not heard, as, heard at all. Even though there's a sort of not Saddam Hussein and Jewel of the Nile, we don't hear a whole lot of the voices of those people, except for the case of the Sufi tribe, uh, the, of which the Jewel belongs. And they spend most of their time juggling and doing backflips. Why? Because because they are for white entertainment. And uh, it's very 
troubling and problematic. Uh, and so throughout uh, films like this, when you see these sort of exotic locales being used, I'm looking at you, James Bond, and other franchises that make use of this, sometimes those places are not being used so much for uh, telling stories about those people. They're used in ways that actually make them subaltern. They make them silent and merely objects uh, to... Uh, step on uh, Alex's analysis uh, for Anglo and uh, Western use. And uh, there's a whole lot of that going on in Romancing the Stone and its sequel, Jewel of the Nile. So there you go, dear listener. You have now heard the analysis brought forth by your dearest uh, co-hosts uh, here at the Good Trash Genre Cast. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. This week, we want to thank Nick Sanford, Julie Bohannon, and Kevin Tudor for pledging to support the Good Trash Media Network at Patreon.com. For the support, we are very humble and very grateful. It is because of the donations of people such as Julie, Nick, and Kevin that we are able to produce the quality and quantity of content that we do. Because of the pledges of our wonderful patrons, we've been able to get business cards, upgrade equipment, purchase a camera for live streaming, and that is just the tip of the iceberg for 2016. We have so many surprises in store for you, dear listener. So again, to those who have pledged, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're not sure about pledging, uh, but want more information, then go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Or go to goodtrashmedia.com and click become a patron. Again, thank you so much. And back to the show. I think she smell my cologne. It's called brand new money. Making major moves, man, ain't a damn thing funny. Pimpin' hood rats to playboy bunnies. They see the. They see it. They see it. Uh, we have to come to a point in the show now. We must render a verdict, though. Shell for trash, and then recommend our else's or instead's. I'm very, very curious to hear what is to be said. So, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shell for trash, else or instead? Hmm. Well, uh, uh, on the one hand, I, I did definitely trash Crocodile Dundee and say you should watch this instead. Uh, <laughs> there is a record. Uh, there is a record. On the other hand, you know, if my options are, are this or Crocodile Dundee, I'm going to watch this. But if my options are this or literally anything else, uh, you know, I can't say that I'm going to really be in a hurry to rewatch this. You know, I, I'd seen this movie literally almost 20 years ago. Uh, at this point in my life, and have never had an urge to watch it again. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to trash this one, and it's not out of any sort of malice towards the movie. I think it's perfectly fine and cute, but it is fairly disposable. Uh, So I don't really think you need it in your life. Uh, To watch instead, you could watch the entire Indiana Jones franchise, as we've discussed. I mean, there is a lot of uh, relation between those films and this film. Uh, I'd also recommend Edgar Wright's uh, Hot Fuzz literally just because uh, Dustin's thing about the umbrella uh, and it made me think of uh, I distracted him with a cuddly monkey and then I hit him in the head with a piece lily and said playtime's over. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the only reason uh, that I, I recommended that. Um, but also it, it is f- cute and fun. I, I'm trying to think of other uh, 
romantic action films uh, or romantic adventure films that are heavy on the romance. None are coming to mind at the moment, but I, I'm certain there are better ones than this. Uh, you know, that's just a failure of my own research that nothing's coming to mind. But yeah, I, I can't say you have to watch this movie, so I am going to go ahead and trash it. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, for those picks. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you have to say? Show for trash, else or instead? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same place. I, I Yeah, I'd say a trash. It's a very soft trash. It's like throw it gently in the trash. Um, you, I don't <laughs> like need to... Like a Frisbee? Perhaps, yeah, I don't need to set it on fire or per, anything. Perhaps atop some bubble wrap. Yeah, I, I don't need to own it. Maybe sell your copy on eBay. Don't You don't need to throw it away. Um, anyway, I would recommend instead, though, The Princess Bride. Cause it's Son got, of a bitch, that's what I should have said. <laughs> it's got pirates and romance and true love, and, and that's a... Um, a romantic fairy tale that's got all of the good bits that I just love to pieces. Um, I'd also recommend uh, to keep Indiana Jones going, young Indiana Jones uh, TV show. Uh, that was that was really good. I remember watching some of that in my youth. And um, this is enough. This is so random. I don't know if this is a recommendation or just telling you that this exists. <laughs> um, but whenever I was a child, I used to. I was a big Lego kid. I had the Lego magazine and everything. And yes. before Lego got the license to Indiana Jones, they had they had their own Indiana Jones knockoff character called Johnny Thunder. Was that his name? That, that was. That's correct. Yeah, and he uh, had a like a, a fedora that he had like an Australian one with the half side pushed up. Don't forget the, the, the creepy mustache. Right. And a very creepy mustache. So play with your Johnny Thunder Legos. If you uh, really, really want to get some more romancing the stone in your life. Thank you very much for that, um, that obscure was, pick. That was amazing. <laughs> that, was, that was a great time. That was a great day before Lego had licenses. Yep. Yeah, because they just like would totally bastardize and make their own versions of like oh, yeah. pretty much everything. everything. There's this uh, this great band that I, that I like, and I, I I don't know if you could strictly speak and call them a punk band, but I'm going to go ahead and call them a punk band called the Murder City Devils uh, that has a song called Johnny Thunders. Uh, and now I, I really, really hope to God that the title of that song is because of the Legos. Me too. Nothing would make me happier in this world. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mr. Caleb Masters. Show for trash, else, or instead. Go ahead and trash it, uh, else, I, as I said in my analysis, I really highly recommend the Uncharted video game series. If you own a PlayStation 3 or a PlayStation 4, um, you have access to all three of those, and, and the fourth one comes out tomorrow. I'm hoping it's just as good as the first three. Obviously, Indiana Jones um, can't get around that. That's just far superior. Uh, just just watch the Indiana Jones. And lastly, if you want another swashbuckling adventure, absolutely check out Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. All right, Grandpa, I'm going to throw to you. Uh, what obscure uh, French film should we have uh, paired with this? Oh, no, not French at all. It's German this week. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, I am the Battle of Algiers or some shit? No, that's French, dude. Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Arabia! <laughs> Who can be sure? <laughs> it could be Algerian, but it's not. Uh, my, uh, my, I'm going to go ahead and say trash. It's fun. It's worth watching. Um, if it's on cable, check it out. Uh, let's go to South America with uh, one single German director. Let's go to Werner Herzog. Let's check out some Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and Fitzcarraldo. Yep. Yeah, okay. Good times. That's what I, as soon as you said German, I should have been like, oh, duh, he's going to say Fritz Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, yeah. Why not? 
And so uh, check those out. Yeah, they're on Hulu Plus, I think. Uh, Aguirre's mm-hmm. maybe not, but Fitzcarraldo, I think. I don't is. think Aguirre is I'm, because I think I tried to add it to my uh, my Hulu Plus watch list the other day and it wasn't there. But I know uh, Fitzcarraldo is. Okay, so check those out, and those are my selections. Let's move on and talk about how the conversation can keep going via those magical means of social media. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, do you know anything about that stuff? You can find good trash. Media Network at goodtrashmedia.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you very much for that, Ms. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. Is there another means left? That's good underscore trash. Uh, you can engage with us in, in relation to all of the Good Trash Media Network shows. If you want to talk about any of those, you can reach us on Twitter at good underscore trash. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Seward. Now, next week's film is not coming from a randomizer at all. It's a host pick. That host who picks is Mr. Caleb Masters. What is your selection, sir? This is the, this is the first host pick I've had since, like, Terminator 2, like, way it long time sure ago. sure is, Does actually. that mean you're leaving again? Uh, that's well, a good sign. I've got an announcement to make. No. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So I actually thought a lot, uh, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I had it narrowed down to a list of about 10 movies and slowly whittled it down. <laughs> oh but my you, God. And I thought about, I like, what angle do I want to take this? Do I want to take it to the cerebral Caleb who likes those, those psychological thrillers? Do I, do I want to go with, with, with Watchmen, a movie this show really needs to do? And I said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really fun that I like. And since we've almost done Edgar Wright's entire body of uh, work, I'm going to continue that. We're going to wrap it up with Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I was just yay. thinking about this the other day. Oh, yay. Fun times. Good pick. Fun times. Good, uh, good times so we excited. had by all. Take a look at that film. Take a look at Romancing the Stone and have a conversation because the movies are so much more than 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. They're about the conversation that you have with the people that you care about. And we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genrecast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandro Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.